0: I was sitting at the bus stop yesterday, and there was a guy that came over and sat down next to me. He put his head in his hands and he looked worried and stressed out. I said, "Hey, buddy, how you doing?" He says, "Well, I'm having trouble with my wife." I said, "I'm sorry, man." He says, "Yeah, I didn't want to believe that she was stealing from her job as a road worker, but I came home today and all the signs were there." This is Otis Gibbs, and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville, Tennessee, and I have my cat Frankie sitting right next to me helping me out. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Matthew Ryan. Matthew is a singer-songwriter who lives in Beaver, Pennsylvania. You can find out everything you need to know about Matthew at MatthewRyanOnline.com. I hadn't seen Matthew in a while since he left uh, Nashville for Beaver, Pennsylvania. And uh, our buddy Glenn put together a gig somewhere outside of town, And had me and Matthew play. So the night before we did that gig. And it was really, really good. It was in a little small steel town. And the people in the crowd were just really appreciative. It was a fun gig. And we weren't quite sure how well it was going to go on the front end. Which we talk about a little bit later. But it turned out great. And the next morning I went over to Matthew's house. And we sat out on the front porch and had this conversation. So you can hear birds in the background. And hopefully it's not too distracting. I think it kind of adds to it. But I should say right before I left to drive nine hours back to Nashville, there was a baby raccoon, just tiny raccoon that had fallen out of a tree and landed in the middle of the driveway. And Matthew and I were just acting like a couple six-year-old kids, just worried to death about this raccoon. And we sat there for a while trying to figure out what to do. And then he said, I'm going to take care of it. You just go ahead and drive. So he went ahead and nursed this raccoon back to health. And last I heard it was doing really well so that tells you what kind of guy matthew is anyway here's matthew ryan we were
1: on tour it was me and my, my one of my dearest friends brian beckett who you may know he, he lives uh he used to live in east nashville um for a long time and was kind of integral with grimy over at the slow bar and all that stuff Brian and I played music together for years and years and years. And back a few years ago we were on the road with um, okay, we were on the road with this really good folk writer, folk artist his name's Gary Jules. And Gary's just a really really he does not look how he sounds. You know, whereas Otis Gibbs, I don't know if you've ever met him, but Otis looks exactly how he sounds. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> This guy, Gary, doesn't look at all what he sounds like. He's got like full tattoo sleeves and always wears a black t shirt and tough guy like boots and jeans. And, you know, back in this, at this point, he was wearing like a baseball cap. And and he just, Gary's a, a tough looking fella, you know? And, um, and he's got this band of, you know, and, and then like Brian, who I play with, is like 6'4 and he's got tattoos and, yeah, looks like Mr. Clean shaved head the whole routine. And anyway, we're driving through Ohio after a, a show. And it had been a really good run, but we were definitely like crisscrossing I and mean, we were kind of reaching the point of like, you know, land. And um, <clears throat> we stopped at this little gas station and we're all lonely and we're all kind of, you know, we've had the ups and downs of a tour. So. So you just look for little things that, that, you know, give you a sense of hope, (laughs) you know? (laughs) The point I'm trying to make is it's kind of a ragtag group of guys, and admittedly, I'm the most normal-looking one. Um, You know, I I just never bought into any of the really, uh, I don't know what you would want to call it, the the statements, you know, the kind of... um, the statements we make with our clothing as rock and rollers to let people know we're rock and rollers. I never felt comfortable with it. You never had a uniform? I probably had, I mean, yeah, I don't want to act like I never, I mean, I probably did, like, have little things that I would let people know, hey, you know, I don't work at a bank. (laughs) (laughs) But I've never completely bought in, but Gary has done a great job at letting people know that he's a folk and roller, you know? (laughs) and Brian has as well, and the whole band, and and then and, and Gary's band had as well. They are very interesting-looking people, you know? Anyway, so we're looking for, we're just looking for a glimmer of hope. That's all we want, so we stop at this gas station because we need to get gas, and this has turned into an epic tale. But <clears throat> we walk in there, and we are all struck by the beautiful girl behind the cash register. We're in the middle of nowhere in Ohio, and it's like, all the light in the world is just shining down on this one, and she truly was remarkably beautiful and but i don 't think we were the first people to ever notice it because her dad apparently owned the place, and she saw a bunch of goofy musicians all you know to his daughter, and his daughter was responding because she you know uh, uh, you know I guess that's what you know young girls do, because um, there was nothing creepy, it was just it was just flirty. Uh, between this whole gang of knuckleheads that come in to buy various things and music's a weird thing, you know, particularly, you know, having traveled on so many different levels of doing this, there's a certain pirate ship mentality, you know? Um, I always kind of say it's like um, the heart of darkness meets the Lord of the Flies, you know? At least back in my 20s, that's what it was. (laughs) 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 But... I've never been with people that were really pirates. It was just the kind of that male bonding of like kind of recognizing that thing within your yourself um, which sounds a little goofy, but but there's something to like that kind of camaraderie as long as it's not imposing its will on other people in in in, in dangerous or uncomfortable ways. And I've definitely been around a couple guys that do that and they're not friends, you know, anyways, long, long story so we stop in there and we're all kind of enamored with this, this girl behind the counter. And she's enamored because she clearly knows we're not from Ohio, you know, or at least not that area of, of Ohio. And, um, we get in the van, we're in a van with a trailer. I decide you know, that I should drive, which is good because I'm very, um, some of my friends call me Mr. Magoo. Like I take driving very seriously. I, you know, yeah. don't really take a lot of chances. <laughs> yeah, And, uh, So uh, we're driving away from the gas station and all of a sudden, man, state trooper pulls up behind us with lights on, like pulls us over very aggressively and, uh, and really aggressively to the point where it was obvious that this wasn't, we were, I wasn't speeding. So this guy was after us. Like we probably, I felt like we probably fit the description of something, you know, and he's got his hand on his, on his gun and he's walking up to um, Brian sitting uh, to my right. And then Gary never in the back. It's one of those vans that have TVs and they're playing Xbox and at the time, you know, and uh, the guy's got the gun on and like his hands on the gun. and He starts asking, he has Brian roll out his window. And he's just asking us really, really, really direct questions. And he says, you know, you mind if I um, take a look inside the car? Inside the van. And we're all kind of scared because uh, he's being really stern, you know. And, uh, and we're like, well, yeah, yeah, but why? And he, he wouldn't answer, but he said, I just need to check out your car. Um, and he opens up the side doors of the van where Gary and his band are, and somebody had dropped a bottle of vitamins. So there were just all these pills. <laughs> in the wheel well and literally like every time we would open that door vitamins would fall out you know but he opens it and of course like a couple vitamins fall out and um, I think somebody picked up an issue of Carolina Swingers (laughs) which was a joke but there it is sitting right you know right near you know it it was just getting disgusting out there you know (laughs) and uh I'm a real calm, I'm like, officer, nothing's going on here. And he was like, well, um, I need to see inside the trailer. And I'm like, absolutely. So I get out of the car and I walk around. And, and I can tell like the guy is looking at me and, 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 and he's kind of going, this guy doesn't, you know, it's not adding up. So I can feel the officer start to relax like something's not, I don't know. Anyway, so this is like a really long story and it can be bet- told better by other people because it was really tense for a very long time and the cop was tense and we were tense and it was you know and there were it looked like drugs they were vitamins <laughs> you know and it, he we I oh sorry and I opened up the trailer and and there's nothing but gear in there and he's you know he, he's immediately like and and he says to me okay I figured out what happened here and I was like well, I I don't know what you're talking about he said listen he said you stopped at the gas station back there I said yeah yeah, we we did. He said, "The guy called and said, as you guys were pulling off, he heard somebody screaming from your trailer in a female voice. Help! They're trying to kill me." <laughs> so, I didn't explain it really well. But while we were all flirting with his daughter, I can remember seeing him kind of peek around the corner, all kind of you know, like beady eyed. Like, oh, here we go. And uh, this was, I guess, his revenge. Like you know, and apparently the state trooper had done something similar before. Um, grew up in Chester, Pennsylvania, like just literally uh, just south of Philadelphia, just just below the Philadelphia Airport. Um, anybody's driven up the ninety-five corridors, driven through it. Um, if you've gone from Baltimore to. It's uh, Baltimore between Baltimore and Philly, just before you get to Philly, where the Commodore Barry Bridge is. But uh, it's a cool. It was well. It was a really neat childhood because it was um, um it kind of kind of grew up in a Springsteen song, you know. Dad worked at the factory. Lots of Eastern European cultures around. Uh, my family was Irish, um, and there was a lot of struggles between the black and the white communities and. These were all working class people, you know, but then like with uh, what was going on in the 80s, um, people started losing, really losing their jobs and things started getting a little weird, but literally grew up in a, a, um, just, it's so funny, I didn't think of where I grew up as a river town, but actually the, the Delaware River was only a few miles away, but our neighborhood butted right up next to the BP plant. And that was just huge. And it was, you know, you didn't think past the BP plant. But then just on the other side of the BP plant was the Delaware River.
0: Well, how did you start playing music?
1: Uh, You know, I started fantasizing about music before I started playing music, you know. I just loved it so much and listened to it. Luckily, I, I feel, well, at least I hope, you know, that like, I believe actually that my parents had good taste. so. I got exposed to, like, a lot of really what I consider the great music, you know? Um, you know, I mean, my folks loved Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan and Willie Nelson and Chris Christopherson and and Bruce Springsteen. and Some stuff I don't love quite as much, but I still think is part of the great music, you know? They were all extensions of that, you know, Fleetwood Mac. My mom loved Fleetwood Mac. I think out of my my folks, Music Springsteen was the first one that really spoke to me, because it sounds kind of goofy, you know, I don't mean to keep referencing it, but it really sounded like where I was from, you know, the the stuff he was writing about and the people he was writing about. Um, And at that time, in the 80s, and you might identify with this, Otis, I I don't know, Um, there was that um, sense of pride about being... um, working class and even though Springsteen in particular didn't really write about it there was no romanticism and there was still a sense of like this is this is how it is for us you know um that's vague I guess if you if you know early Springsteen records and you grow up in an area like that you probably know exactly what I'm talking about um my uh that's a really strange story and like over the years has gotten stranger because I, I thought i went down to nashville for completely different reasons than i actually did my love of music was such that when i started to find my the, my own records that i loved uh which were like the replacements were a huge band for me and then there was some kind of more i guess art rock stuff I, I guess art school rock like jesus and mary chain and Blue Nile, who I, I still listen to. I think it's just beautiful music. It's kind of like a, I think as close to Sinatra as like art, you know, at least the generation of music I grew up with, as close to Sinatra, as genuinely in spirit, as close to Sinatra as anything I've heard. Um, the singer for Blue Nile's name is Paul Buchanan. And I don't know, I mean, I was drawn to that stuff. The reason I bring all that up is that I really listened to those records and was amazed that people that created those things existed and hung out. So I guess, you know, I didn't even really think about Nashville as a country music town. It wasn't even, it just seemed like a place, first of all, where my real dad lived, and uh, who I'd, I'd known but didn't really know, and I think that I had a real curiosity about him. Um, but also he happened to live in this place where music resided, and to me that was very seductive. I wanted to see... I wanted to see if, like the people I heard in records, were as beautiful as a community as they were. You know, I assumed that they were.
0: Did your was your dad involved in music?
1: Yeah, yeah. My dad's a, my dad uh, my dad's a, a songwriter. Um, and he's he's actually I you know I mean it's hard for me to be objective. He's my dad, and all the feelings I have people have about their dads, you know. Um, but I think he's a very fine songwriter. I mean, it was very um, for our family. It was a really the proudest moment was uh, George Jones recorded one of my dad's songs. Really? Yeah, and that wow, that's huge. Yeah, it really is, and it, isn't it funny? You know, like, because um, again, like I said, at home, my 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 mom and, and um, I guess he's my stepdad, but I don't think of him that way. I think of him as my dad because he was there when I was so young. This where it gets confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I have two dads. <laughs> um, but they were both uh, instrumental people for different reasons, you know. My dad, my stepdad, was the constant, worked hard. You know, the kind of guy you, you know, you uh, you just kind of watch and and uh, and see those things you don't want to be and see those things you do want to be from because he's there every day, you know. And my real dad or my biological dad was a, a creative. He was gone. You know, there's there is a certain creative that does that they're just gone right <laughs> <laughs> you know Wait. woody guthrie i've heard stories about <laughs> you know but i don't want to give the wrong impression of my dad no, just... anyway george jones recorded one of his songs and it was a huge huge thing for our family we we're all very proud you know that's that's beyond i think it was the first time i realized wow you can actually this actually happens you know so i went down there for a bunch of reasons I worked at Tower Records when I first moved down there. It was And again, it was part of that thing of wanting to be involved in what I thought the culture of music was and what I thought the community was like. And there were people that lived up to that and that I, I still um, have an immense amount of love for. Um, there was a guy named Tom Demelon that was one of my supervisors. And he was so sad, just really a really kind guy. And me and Todd Olhauser, who run, uh, owns the... uh mercy lounge we became friends that back then he was the he was he did security (laughs) (laughs) and that's where me and todd met you know and um here the funny thing was is that i felt like it's so funny because i'm talking about the early 90s you know which wasn't that long ago but yeah you know it was it was kind of the last century you know and to me i was on this uh on this great exploration of the mid-south you know which seemed worlds away from the Northeast. And it was. It was more different then than it is now. Um, I remember people thinking I was Canadian because I really had a thick Northeastern accent when I first moved down there. Um, And I can remember hearing more of the real Southern draw than I do now when I'm around in Nashville. It was a great time. And uh, it was really neat to start to meet people Music is such an amazing thing. Um, You know, the way that it can connect people with this kind of, I mean, it's just this completely unquestionable faith in each other simply because they like the same song. It says something about each other. It says something about you that no amount of conversation or no t shirt slogan can say. Oh, you like like a bird on the wire? Me too. That's beautiful and then you can have you know you know it, it goes on and on about the things that way music can connect you
0: you know and i loved that i really did it's like when you start dating somebody and you see the record collection it's a definitive moment oh
1: yeah if there's nk what is it nkotb new kids on the block in there you're kind of <laughs> like either they've got a great sense of humor or we got like got a problem <laughs> you know,
0: you know? When we're on the road, I feel like sometimes we turn into. you talked about the pirate ship. Yeah. When we're on the road. I feel like we kind of turn into hunter gatherers. Yeah. Where you just have to take advantage of uh, everything you have in front of you, whether it be at the end of the night, and there's the stuff, the deli tray. Yeah. You just put all of that in the van and take it with you. Cause yeah. You, you might need. Do you do that also? I do it with water. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like like by the end of a run, I've got like
1: more water. It's like Costco. Yeah. In, in the back of the in the back of the vehicle, I don't know why, but like, well, I've chosen water to be the thing. I really, I, I ch- do you know Paul Slifka? Yeah, yeah. I used to travel with Paul. Paul played bass with me very early on. Now he's one of the worst hunter gatherers you ever want to travel with because he actually picks up chandeliers, like small, <laughs> like <laughs> um, it used to drive us crazy, man. Like we had to put a section of the van for Paul to buy antiques, but it was never just like. Oh, that's cool, Paul. That letter opener is great. It was like, you know, a chest of drawers or like a a, a chandelier, you know. (laughs) Yeah, so yes, we do become hunters gatherers out there.
0: I can't leave a hotel room without getting all the soap. (laughs) (laughs) If there's pencils, you know, or paper, I have to take all of that stuff. I'm not so
1: wild about the soap or the shampoo, but I do take the pencils and paper. It's excellent. You know, you never know when you're going to have to write something down. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do write. But yeah, 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 yeah. I did tour with Lucinda, and I um, I had actually not realized, you know, Lucinda Williams is a name that any songwriter, I think, hears, and, and you should explore if you haven't. It's like, uh, personally, I think Lucinda's... Lucinda is one of the finest songwriters, period. Uh, Particularly in these last, uh, not particularly anything. She's just a great songwriter, and she's a great, honest, like an honest talent. And that sounds so goofy when you say stuff like that, but you know the difference when you hear somebody like Lucinda versus some other things. There's a, um, I want to use the word authenticity, but these words are used so often, you know. But Lucinda is that, and um, and I was really, met Lucinda very early on in Nashville. Um, we used to play in a little pizza shop on the west side called Guido's, and it was me and a handful of friends, David Mead, some other folks that I, I still love dearly. I say David because David and I, excuse me, have been friends for a long time, and, and we have completely different music other than it does have some degree of pop aspirations that was in popular music. I'd met Lucinda then, and um, I remember meeting her and thinking, like I think it was the first time I really came in contact uh, with the entirety of an artist. See, a lot of people, they they, they have defenses up, and so you can meet somebody, and you can kind of think, oh, maybe they're an artist, or maybe they're creative. But the people that don't have any defenses up are beautiful and raw whether they're on stage or they're um or they're sitting in a pizza shop you know and is one of those people that it's always very obvious that that meeting her is like walking into a i don't know haunted house you know but it's not like a not an evil there's oh god the metaphors are so bad you know <laughs> It's not a dark place, it's just a, it's just a, uh, a place where there's a lot of energy and, and, and it flies around, you know. So I remember meeting her and being so blown away because you felt like you were in the presence of something that was both dangerous and something that was comforting simultaneously. Like, but I think the thing that's, you know that I think I would want to express about her, Lucinda is exactly who she appears to be you know and uh and I love that about her she's one of the few artists and there's a handful of them that I've met and having met them the work wasn't damaged by in the least in fact the work was the work that they do was enhanced by the reality of coming in contact with with that human and I think it's essentially because of a absolute honesty about who they are. And I think that's one of the bravest things um, any human can do. You don't have to be an artist to live within or express absolute honesty about yourself. Um, we live in a world where there's so much information and there's, there's an assault on our perceptions of ourselves, on, on what, we, what we should want, what we should desire, what we need. We're assaulted with that. But to see somebody powerful within all the directions that one's humanity can pull them, is is really a beautiful thing to be in the presence of, without any of the artifice of modern culture. Like yeah, you know, Lucinda loves pretty things, and she she'll do her hair, and and she'll wear like a jacket that's you know you know uh, gonna catch light, you know. <laughs> But really beyond all those things that we do, she is still absolutely vulnerable and strong within that vulnerability. And I find that, I find that absolutely inspiring.
0: I think people might find it interesting. We played a gig last night and um, we spent at least 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes trying to explain to each other why this gig might not go off very well <laughs> we, we we ran down every scenario of all the bad things that might happen to make it a bad night yeah that's
1: <laughs> well you know what and that's isn't that interesting because that's kind of and last night actually turned out on on some level to be on most levels to be very beautiful it turned out great you know but I think we forget that in the in the fog of competition and the fog of awareness of uh, that's why I keep making fun of myself. We use the word aware when I use the word awareness. Well, absolutely, an artist should be aware, but an artist necessarily shouldn't be aware of Kenny Chesney. Like that, that shouldn't be part of like my vernacular because I don't really care what Kenny Chesney does. But when you live in a place like Nashville, you have an awareness of kenny chesney and so therefore it somehow becomes like just a it becomes like an oil rig on my horizon (laughs) that doesn't really exist and has nothing to do with it but it exists and i don't know how to even explain it how you how you have to realize that what we do is we're hopefully honest about god politics love war peace As an artist, that's what you're writing about. Sex, all these things are the same. And as an artist, that's your job is to try try and discern and try and share and not even necessarily as if you understand it better, but the fact that you'll talk about it. Because socially we carry so many artifices that we create distance between each other and art dismantles those distances. And the bottom line is, is all you and I had to do last night was go up and sing songs and sing them honestly. And people were going to respond honestly. But after a while, you let all these other things in (laughs) where you and I sit there and talk about, well, this could be weird or this could happen. I know that could totally happen. And really all we have to do is walk on stage and sing songs. And I, I never found myself more happy or more content than when I was doing that. But whenever I started thinking about all these other things, all these peripheral things that really mean nothing but somehow started to occupy a space in me, that felt like the death of art. And so my goal now is to dismantle that. So, I, And part of that meant I had to leave Nashville because the bottom line is, you know, I don't care what Kenny Chesney's doing. I don't care about pencil mustaches. I don't care about the... Yeah, You know, I'm talking about... The artifice of ideas, you know, like this love now of like the 20s and the 30s um, that you see expressed in style, but not in substance. Like what we should have learned from the 20s and 30s is what's happening right now shouldn't be happening. So don't wear a fucking vest (laughs) and a pencil mustache and have no idea why what's happening right now is relevant to the 20s and 30s. Yeah. It's odd to me, and I don't even know if I can fully explain it. It's almost like they're trying to confront it in the most vapid way that they can because they're f- afraid of what's actually happening. And I know that, like, I've just jumped a bunch of rivers.
0: <laughs> That's what we do. <laughs> you want to talk about your Tom Petty theory?
1: Oh, wait, wait which, one? which
0: one? I remember you saying that uh, that nobody dislikes Tom Petty. Oh, no well
1: okay listen here's the truth i've never met anybody that doesn't like tom petty <laughs> and i i i don't know how he does it i i i'm just glad that it exists you know but i will tell you there's been a development Oh. i posted this you know i really do i'm not a big fan of social media it's something i do I don't know. I think a lot of artists can identify with it. I actually love human beings, so the possibility to connect with people is is really appealing to me. But um, but you you know, I it kind of goes back to what I was saying a minute about our humanity um, in the times that we live in, and and the the assault of information of want and need and desire and power, um, and all this is through advertising um, that we you know. We do these things, and so I'm going to wrap this up. This isn't. A, this doesn't need to get dark at all because it's really not. But um, so I really have this love-hate relationship with with social media, although I do do it because I do love when you can genuinely engage with people. It's just beautiful, you know. It's too often we see it done for the sake of uh, in just simply engagement. Ultimately, like to you know pry a dollar from somebody or two, you know. <laughs> Um, so that's why I kind of resist it because sometimes you can't tell the difference, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I don't know; it gets harder and harder to discern. You know, like I said about the word authenticity. It's so funny that the inauthentic don't take the hit; the word authenticity takes the hit, <laughs> which is really fucked up. But I would posted on Facebook. This is my way of apologizing to them that I post. that all that is about me uh, apologizing about posting this on Facebook. <laughs> But I've never met anybody that doesn't like Tom Petty. And uh, I'm, I think there's... I don't remember exactly, but the, the thread had like 80, 90 comments. And there was one dude that said, I hate Tom Petty. And I think it was Tom Petty. <laughs>
0: there's, al- there's always one person who secretly loves it but can't admit it out loud because they have to be the one dissenting opinion. And then maybe that's Tom Petty. (laughs) I appreciate you inviting me onto your porch, and it's great to see you
1: again, man. It's great to see you, Otis. I wish I were more concise, man.
0: I'm really... I wish I was more drawn out. (laughs) I get to drive nine hours back to Nashville now, so... I'd like to thank everybody for listening in And I'd like to thank Matthew for Inviting me onto his porch there in Beaver, Pennsylvania And having this conversation You can find out everything you need to know about Matthew At MatthewRyanOnline.com If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt. You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out, but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment Subscribe while you're there, and you'll get a brand new episode for free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.